The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony's Ghostlight Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I am your host, Jeff Counts, and I am joined today, happily, by an old friend, acclaimed soprano Lisa Vroman. Lisa, welcome to the show. You don't have to say old, do you? No, I mean just that you're one of my best friends. That's what I mean. I'm teasing you. <laughs> I am teasing. You know, sopranos Sopranos are so sensitive about it's, that. It's a quality word, not a temporal one. <laughs> you're coming back to sing with Utah Symphony and Jerry Steichen, and you have long relationships with both the symphony and Jerry. So I'm curious how you met Jerry. When was the first time you worked with Utah Symphony, Utah Opera? What's the history? goes way back. I mean, Jerry yeah. and I started our career uh, with Phantom of the Opera right. at the same time with the same production. He was one of the assistants and played the piano conducting and um, did that for a little while. Of course, I then went on and played Christine for the next about 10 years. Yes, famously played Christine. Famously, it's, it's yeah, right. But yeah. you know, I like uh, somebody said, oh, it was your role. I said, you know what? I think that we don't really own roles. I mean, Barbara Streisand owned Funny Girl, right? right? Right. And Ethel Merman owned Gypsy, even though so many incredible people do it. But I feel like as as Christine for those 10 years, we, we sort of have a timeshare mm-hmm. in the part. We don't really own it. Mm-hmm. We just we had a great timeshare, a great run. It's the kind of role that does introduce you to a lot of people. And it's the kind of role that uh, that consistency in those long running shows, you're able to buy homes. Yeah, You're able to uh, save some for what is coming next. Right. It's not an end. You know, the being a star in a Broadway show is, yes, I'm enjoying it for now, but what, what is next right. and what is going to be um, your life after? So um, Jerry uh, and I have worked together so many times between then and reuniting in Utah years ago, doing the four or five seasons of Gilbert and Sullivan mm-hmm. uh, operettas that we did up in Deer Valley. But I've uh, also done, I've been at Bravanel with the symphony many, many times with he and with Keith Lockhart, right. who I was in graduate school with. So there's also that kind of hometown connection for me. Yeah. So I first was at the Capitol Theater as Fantine in Les Mis when it toured through before I even started Phantom. I had seen beautiful Utah back then. Yeah. And then did Bertie Hubbard and Bertie and Regina by Mark Blitzstein right. with Christopher Macbeth and the, uh, and the, the opera, opera company. That was uh, probably, you know, for me after Phantom was all done, that has to be to date the role of a lifetime. Well, I'm glad you mentioned roles because I want to talk about that a little bit. You've, ah. you've done some great landmark soprano roles, both in your music theater career and, as you just mentioned, in the, the opera side of your career. Are there any left on the must-do list? I mean, what are you, what are you still have to tackle now i mean there's a after playing you know if you do a role for 10 years you kind of miss out in that 10-year period that there's a bucket list of what you want to do yeah since then i have hit many of them thanks to keith it was thanks you know thanks to him it was uh birdie and regina which Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know but uh, for me it was like i said the role of a lifetime creatively, musically, and in every other way. He also introduced me to Kurt Vile's music and uh, doing Seven Deadly Sins, a concert piece, which right. is sort of a right. little operetta, a little choral, a little concert, a little opera, mm-hmm. a little theater. That one piece kind of melds them all together. It, it requires a real versatile artist, and that's yeah. something you're known you know, for. There's, well, you know, it's uh, just it's how you grew up, what you were influenced by. And there are two roles that I had done after Phantom that I – Oh, I just loved, uh, always had wanted to do and finally got to. And it was one was being uh, Mrs. Anna and the King and I. Mm-hmm. 
I uh, did it with the Lyric Opera of Virginia, and we had uh, a Broadway phantom. I mean, a Broadway. <laughs> he actually was a Broadway phantom too, um, <laughs> Kevin Gray, yeah. who uh, was one of only the four people who did um, the King on Broadway, Broadway costumes. It was just a glorious production with a full opera orchestra. So it was quite glorious. And then uh, I'd always wanted to do the Music Man. Mm-hmm. One of the roles you grow up watching from a little girl, you know, on the film. And uh, I finally got to do it. I did a kind of a staged version with the Hartford Symphony in Connecticut. It was significant for me at, you know, coming full circle to do a show where I had loved this role forever. I'm finally playing Mary and the Librarian. And the woman who was playing my mother, it was pretty significant because that was Shirley Jones. Oh, wow. In it. And her son, Patrick Cassidy, played Harold. So that was the first time they had done that. Uh-huh. You know, it could have pinched me the entire time. She was just lovely and fun. And uh, there's so many stories that you learn little bit of history, too, that you got yeah, to be part of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you, talking about all this repertoire, and it's varied, all of the roles you've just mentioned. And I think the program that is upcoming with Utah Symphony for your return, there's a lot of different kinds of repertoire on that program. It really is a very Lisa Roman type program because it requires <laughs> somebody who can do lots of things really, really well. But I imagine it's hard to wear so many different hats in a single program. I mean, how does that affect your preparation or your mindset? Well, you know, it's, it's always a trick in Utah, not, not only at a Bravano where you're at altitude in a certain way, but once we get up to the ski areas, right. you know, we're at maybe, what is it? 7,800 mm-hmm. feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything you approach has to be done with your athletic pre-preparation, sure. knowing that your breath won't last as long as it will at sea level. Right. Right. So you need to, we've, we've, you know, and thank God I've had some years of practice because it was pretty shocking the first time. Yeah, I bet. It's a matter of pacing physically. I think of singing as, as being an athlete. Mm-hmm. We have its muscles, it's your breath, mm-hmm. it's the event. It's, um, there's so many variables in that. I, I remember teching the Gilbert and Sullivan up there and it's so beautiful and it's such a perfect place for people to enjoy mm-hmm. and, and be able to bring their families to have a live experience yeah. with the orchestra. It's, it's, um, it's kind of a, a perfect thing. And I, I found that just the most enjoyable performing experience. So, you know, I'm up for the challenge. I mean, the program, it's things that I have grown up with. I started off in choral music and choral music education at the Crane School of Music in Potsdam, New York and upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Copeland folk songs I've done many, many times, not only in chorus, but in solos. So they, they are like kind of putting on that glove that you grew up with. Comfortable. Uh, comfortable. Yeah. They are beautiful. They're quintessentially American. You know, you can just throw out those composers, which do reflect our sensibility. And Aaron Copeland certainly is that. I mean, I named my dog Barber after Samuel Barber. I mean, you know, I, I love American music and mm-hmm. uh, the composers thereof. Uh, and there's also the biggest thrill that's going on right now is that um, I am doing a piece that was written for Renee Fleming, uh, who who I went to college with. And it was a, a girlfriend no of mine. kidding. Wow. She's She's done rather well. Don't you think she's had quite a she's had a, quite a good run of it? People do know her. I think she's been yeah. successful by most measures. Yeah, she's yeah. had she's had a good run. <laughs> <laughs> she's still having a good run, but I she's still, a wonderful. For sure. Oh, she's just the best and a, just a wonderful woman. And she's going to be with Utah Symphony next year, actually. She yeah. is. That's mm-hmm. I'm giving her a little heads up. Yeah. Um, not that she's going to need the help selling tickets. I don't, we I think we appreciate gonna... any. <laughs> <laughs> that we can get but she's a wonderful just what a wonderful artist and, yeah. a, and also just you know she is the real deal and a friend and just a, a great girl so i'm uh proud to know her but this yeah. this piece was written for her mm-hmm. by john kander a broadway composer right. who of course from kander the duo kander and ab who wrote cabaret right. 
and Chicago mm-hmm. gave us uh, Chicago. But he sat a Civil War letter, letter from uh, Sullivan Ballou, who was uh, killed at the first Battle of Bull Run in 1861. Mm-hmm. And this letter was found on his person. Uh, after a week after he never got to send it, but they found it. And it's, it, it, it's pretty incredible. And yeah. John Kander said it and it's kind of more of a classical space for him to write in. And I, I've always loved it. I just imagine being outside on that lawn, hearing these words in the, you know, a concert of American music with that theme. And so I wrote him and he is thrilled and tickled that I even asked, you know, so, right. <laughs> you know, I wrote, I wrote wondering if he would even let me do it. And he said, Oh, I'm so happy you asked, where can I send the music? So it's a thrill. I'm so glad you mentioned that particular piece on this program, because it's, it's uh, among all the great things you're doing. It's the thing I'm most excited about because I don't know well, it at all. I've only heard about it and I'm just really anxious to hear you do it. I'm thrilled. In this venue and in this type of concert, mm-hmm. I think it's going to play rather well and it's not done. No one has really kind of done that. So I, I'm excited to be the one that's getting it back out there. And, Absolutely. Um, and yeah. then, you know, you'll, you'll be getting the more typical patriotic fare. So I think it'll this will really round out the program. One last thing I want to ask you, and it's, uh-huh. it's, it's a conversation I've been meaning to have with you for the last few years, so I'm glad we finally get to do it in front of people. But Oh, no. Uh, no, no. No pressure. This, no, this is good. This is good stuff. I, I feel like Broadway shows, like any important and meaningful art form, often serve as a reflection of whatever kind of societal moment happens to be ascendant when they're written. You know, they kind of reflect their time. This is happening a lot lately in Broadway. And I wonder how you feel about the current state of music theater as social commentary. Are the the right messages getting out there right now? Are they reaching the right ears? What do you think? Right now, we're we're so inundated with so much polarity and mm-hmm. art has to be a reflection of what this individual person who wrote it is feeling at the time. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to solve, often not trying to solve the world. They're trying to just reflect what they're feeling about this music and, sure. their, and their love and their craft. They do it from a place of that often. There's a tricky step here. I have a lot of friends that are writing and singing in, in the musical theater world. And I do a lot of, um, I'm going back and teaching at a school in New York a few times a year and have some private students. They they want this, but it's it's a completely different style that they are working for. Yeah. It's a more physical style. It's a more pop style. I I worry about the craft and the writing in a way because uh, I just musically don't respond really well to some of the music. And a lot of it is uh, you go and see a show and people are very affected by it. And it's visually, but the music to me doesn't withstand mm-hmm. the scrutiny of, you know, craft. Right. I don't really find it. Well, some of, some of it well-crafted. Some of it is, is terrific. Mm. For instance, I, I haven't seen Hamilton, but I've listened to every piece of it. Sure. I find it an amazing uh, how Lin-Manuel, where his craft has traveled and what he's going to give us next. That, to me, is just so crafted and so precious. Yeah. And I, I, I love what he's integrated, and not everybody's doing that. Mm-hmm. I, I like anything that's going to get people and kids excited about being in a live theater and right. having, having, having that experience. Well, you might not be willing to comment on what you think of singers, but but I can tell you what Utah thinks of you, Lisa Roman, and you are beloved <laughs> here. So I'm thrilled that you're coming back. A lot of the audience is there. Uh, they still want to hear people sing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and they, people do and love good singing in this culture, for sure. They do, yeah. and it's pleasing for all of us who get to come there. Yeah. Let's face it, the symphony is one of the best. It's spectacular. It's Yeah, I'm, it's an honor to work here, that's for sure. Let me ask yeah. you one question before I let you go, and it's uh-huh. it's kind of a goofy one. We ask all of our guests on the Ghostlight podcast because of why oh, we no. got our name. I'm curious <laughs> if you've ever actually seen a ghost, and if you have, give us some details. Have I seen a ghost? 
I don't know. It's a bit of a story, but I did have uh, an experience with an Ouija board once. <laughs> Let's hear it. Uh, it's a long story. And needless to say, the person who was answering with my two girlfriends, we were up very late before our Christmas Eve, you know, Christmas morning mm-hmm. concert, just another concert. We were all staying in out in Long Island and she she got an Ouija board for her 12 year old. So let's play with it. It's like midnight and we're mm-hmm. just adults are still up and we started in and then it started answering and spells out who it is. And the other two girls were swearing that they didn't know this person. Okay. Close family member. And we all burst into tears because I said, if you're lying to me, I'm going to kill you both. (laughs) Because it was just so, it was pretty scary. The next morning, needless to say, because it was such a powerful experience and message, my friend took the Ouija board broke it and threw it in the garbage. <laughs> That's probably wise, especially if that ghost experience made you willing to create two new ghosts you were so upset by. Yeah, <laughs> I just went if you yeah. if you're if you guys are lying about leading me on in this, yeah. if this is not I am going, you know, I'm going to kill you. And to this day, and this is 30, you know, 25 years ago, they 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 both still say I'll never forget that we didn't know who that was. <laughs> well, uh, so what do you say? What you know, do you you're say? like other spirits? Yeah. Who am I to who am I to deny that? Yeah, so I, that, that's the position we take on this show for sure. We take all stories and we we, <laughs> we, we believe them all. Lisa Vroman, it's going to be great to have you back in yes! Utah, and thank you so much for being on the Ghostlight Podcast with me today. Cannot wait. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Thank you. Take care. Sure. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced and edited by Chad Call. Utah Symphony Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.